open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 1 again, as we continue our series, The Word Became Flesh, John chapter 1. How many of you used to listen to uh, Paul Harvey on the radio? Anybody in here listen to Paul Harvey? Yeah, I did too. I can still uh, hear his voice and him saying, and now you know the rest of the story. And it must have been on when we were driving around the car or something, because like I've always listened to Paul Harvey. Uh, but allow me to share one of the stories that he shared. Maybe you remember this one. Uh, if not, uh, listen closely. If you do, it'll be a refresher to you. He says, the man to whom I'm going to introduce you to was not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man. Generous to his family, upright in his dealings with other men. But he just didn't believe all that incarnation stuff, which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just didn't make sense. And he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. I'm truly sorry to distress you, he told his wife, but I'm not going with you to the church this Christmas Eve. Uh, he said he felt like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay at home, but, he, but that he would wait up for them. And so he stayed and they went to the midnight service. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. And then he went back to his fireside chair and began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound. Then another, then another. Sort of a thump or a thud. At first, he thought someone must be throwing snowballs against his living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They'd been caught in the storm and in a desperate search for shelter had tried to fly through his large landscape window. Well, he couldn't leave uh, the poor creatures lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter if he could direct the birds to it. So quickly he put on a coat, galoshes, and tramped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide and turned on a light, but the birds did not come in. He figured food would entice them in, so he hurried back to the house, fetched breadcrumbs, sprinkled them on the snow, making a trail to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs, and continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He tried shooting them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms. And instead, they scattered in every direction except into the warm, lighted barn. And then he realized that they were afraid of him. To them, he reasoned, I'm a strange and terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Because any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. If only I could be a bird, he thought to himself. And mingle with them and speak their language. Then I could tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to safe, warm, to the safe, warm barn. But I would have to be one of them so they could see and hear and understand. And at that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind. And he stood there listening to the bells, peeling 
the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. If only I could become one of them and talk with them and communicate with them and speak their language. Well, beloved, you know that man could not become a bird, but God did become a man. If we were to add this element to the story, I think it would be even more interesting. What if we were to add to Paul Harvey's story that he shared the fact that the man is the one who created the birds in the first place? And he's the one that created the world in which those birds found themselves. That would be even more amazing, wouldn't it? That he wanted to become like one of them, become one of them and communicate with them. Well, that's exactly what God did. God became a man. He became the word. And we're looking at John's account of the Christmas story. And it's a little bit different than we're used to because it does not include the wise men and the shepherds and the angels. Oh, yes, he knew about those, but he doesn't mention them here in the story. Instead, he focuses upon the word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to look again with you in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. And we're going to focus our attention particularly today upon verses 3 through 10. But let's refresh our memory. Last time we looked at this, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the light was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. We talked about last week that we know that the word mentioned in verses 1 is also mentioned in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I find a theme so far in our service so far, an unintentional theme, really. We just sing glorious. And then the choir just talked about the glorious matchless name. And we find the word is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the word. He's the expression, the revelation, the communication of God himself. Am I cutting in and out? That's bothering me, so I'm going to cut it off. I still can get loud. All right. Jesus is the expression and the revelation or the communication of God himself. The incarnate word of God. He's the eternal, always existing. I'm taking a bit of cord here. <laughs> All right, there we go. He's the eternal, always existing as God. Bethlehem was not his beginning. It was the beginning of God in the flesh, the incarnation. Jesus, who is God, became man without ceasing to be God. He is the God man. Perfect God and perfect man joined together. Now listen, he's all God and he's all man. But as a man, he was without sin. He never sinned. And that's the importance of the virgin birth. That's what distinguishes his birth from our birth. We're the union of a man and a woman. He's the union of the Holy Spirit with the Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary was implanted with the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our sin upon the cross. Now, let's back up a little bit here from the manger and the cross and go back to the beginning. 
We said last week that John 1 1 reminds us of a verse in the Bible. Very beginning Genesis 1 1 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then John 1 1 says in the beginning was the word. But we said, you know what? That goes back even further than Genesis 1 1. That goes back before creation. John 1 1 precedes Genesis 1 1. But here's the interesting thing. John 1 3 that we're starting with today. That matches Genesis 1 1. Look at it again, if you would. It says all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. And so we understand right away from our passage here that when it comes to the word, when it comes to the Lord Jesus, that he created the world. He created the world. You say, wait a minute, preacher. I thought God created the world. Well, God did create the world. And Jesus is God. In fact, all three members of the Trinity were involved in the creation process. You remember these verses, Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God, the father's mentioned there. Verse two, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God. God, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. Then John 1, 3, all things are made through him, through who? Through the word, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, when it comes to the creation Particularly Jesus and the creation. You want to look, of course, in John 1, but you'll also look in Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1. So it's pretty easy to think about the creation. Genesis 1, John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1. In fact, let me give you some verses from those others that we've already mentioned. Genesis 1, 1 and 2, we've read that one. John 1, 3, we've read that one. Listen to Colossians 1, 16. Colossians 1, 16, talking about Jesus. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Colossians 1, 16. And then Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. I want to jot these references down. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us, listen, by his son. He is appointed heir of all things through whom, through whom, who's talking about there? The son, through whom also he made the world's. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had purged himself of our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, all involved in creation. But Jesus was the agent of creation, if you will. You know, God spoke the world into existence, but Jesus is the word. And it says there he created all things. Now, notice John 1, 3 again. You back there? It says in John 1, 3 that all things were created through him, by him. That's stated positively. And in case you were to miss it, it's also stated negatively. You notice that without him, nothing was made that was made. He doesn't want us to miss this. He created all things and nothing was made that was not made by him. I like what A.W. Tozier said about all this. 
and in his Advent devotional called From Heaven. And I'll commend to you any of A.W. Tozer's writings. Here's what he said. In the universe, now I want you to think with me. In the universe, there are only two things. God and not God. That which is God and that which is not God. And all that is not God was made by God and God was made by none. Now, I know that's a lot to take in and it's early and you've got some cobwebs. Let's shake them out again. Let me say that again. There are only two things in the universe, God and not God. That which is God and that which is not God. And all that is not God was made by God and God was made by none. In the beginning was the word always eternally existing. So stop and consider this, beloved. As amazing as it is that Jesus Christ stepped into flesh and stepped into our world, realize that he is the one who created the world that he stepped into. He's the one that created the man, us, mankind, and he chose to become a man. I call today's message the one who created his mother and his world, the one who created his mother and his world. And this is not the case with any other human being to create your mother and your world. To think that he humbled himself and submitted himself to go through the whole process. Now, think about this. That means he was in the womb of Mary for nine months. Think about this is God. The one who created Mary, the one who created the womb, the one who created the world, who created all things. And yet he humbled himself and became a baby, dwelt in the womb of his mother, Mary, for nine months. He chose to go through all the stages of babyhood and toddlerhood, learning to talk, learning to walk, learning to feed himself, learning to do the things that we all had to do as children. Now, think about it. This is God. God in the flesh. He created the whole world. And yet he chose to do this. And while he's doing all these things, growing up, submitting himself to Mary and Joseph, to his parents, learning, learning to read, learning to write, doing all these things, all the while, he is still God. Max Licato has a way with words. Here's how he put it. Stepping from the throne, he removed his robe of light and wrapped himself in skin, pigmented human skin. The light of the universe entered a dark, wet womb. He whom angels worship nestled himself in the placenta of a peasant was birthed into the cold night and then slept on cow's hay. Beloved, this is amazing. This is mind boggling. We just can't get our arms and our minds wrapped around this. And, 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 and was noted in my studies this past week, Jesus came as a human and he chose to experience the cold, hard realities of life. He left the splendors and glory of heaven for what? For the best this world had to offer? No. He came in a lowly, humble, simple, poor state. He was not born in a palace. He was born in a stable. Let's be honest about it. Most of us in this room had a grander beginning in life than the Lord Jesus did. Anybody in here born in a barn or cow or stable or placed in a food trough? There might be. But the Lord Jesus chose to come that way. 
He created his mother. He created his world. He created everything else. But he chose to enter into its harsh realities. And so we know that Jesus, the word, created the world. But then we notice here that the world he created became dark through sin. The world that he created became dark through sin. In our passage, when you get to verses four and five, you notice the old idea of light and darkness. Everybody understands this, right? Even from an early age, we understand light and darkness. And, and many children, what do they want right away in their rooms when they get to that knowledge? They want what? They want a light. They want a nightlight. They want something to light up the darkness that's there. And light and darkness is brought up here in verses four and five. It says in him that is in the word in the Lord Jesus in him was life. And the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, beloved, the reason that he had to come in the first place is because of the darkness. Man was created in perfection. He was placed in perfection. He walked in perfection. That's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before the fall. Perfection. Nothing wrong. Nothing. Nothing. Perfect. But man chose to willfully disobey God to eat of the forbidden fruit and plunge us into spiritual darkness. And can I just let you know today, beloved, that there are still many women, boys and girls and teenagers that are walking about in spiritual darkness who do not have the light, that do not have the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice it says in verse five of our passage that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Some believe a better translation might be and yours may have it this way. The darkness did not overcome it or the darkness did not extinguish it or the darkness did not put out the light. In other words, try as they might the enemies of God, the enemies of the gospel, Satan and his cohorts, they could not frustrate the purpose and plan of Almighty God. Jesus conquered sin, death, the grave and hell. He was victorious and they could not uh, overcome. The darkness could not overcome the light. And that is a glorious truth. But can I just say there's nothing wrong with this translation? I'm reading from the New King James Version and it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. There's nothing wrong with that. The idea of it not comprehending it or understanding it. Why? Look at verse 10. Verse 10 has some understanding. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. So here's the question we've got to answer for a moment. Why is it that the world did not comprehend or understand or receive the light? Why did they not receive the Lord Jesus? Well, here's the simple answer. Because they're in darkness. They're in darkness. If you would, I'm not going to display this, but I want you to put your finger there. If you could find 2 Corinthians chapter 4 real quick. There's some verses you need to understand. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And I want you to read these in your Bible so you know where they are, where you can find them again. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Man is in darkness. Man is in sin. Man is dead in his sin. And the light of the gospel shines forth. The Lord Jesus comes, but man did not understand or comprehend or receive him. Well, here's some light on that. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses one through four. Are you there? Second Corinthians four, one through four. Here's what the Bible says. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. So we're telling the truth, 
But watch. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now watch verses 3 and 4 particularly. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's covered up. They don't see it. It's veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing. Now watch verse 4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe, lest the what? The light of the gospel of the glory of who? Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now verse 4 says, whose mind the God of this age is blinded. That's not God the Father. That's not God the Son. That's not God the Holy Spirit. That's the God of this age. That's Lucifer. Satan is, is the enemy. The God of this age is blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who's in the image of God, should shine on them. Man is in darkness. Man is dead in his sin. And the Holy Spirit's the only one that can shine the glorious gospel. And the enemy, the God of this age, is busy keeping the veil, the darkness, upon the minds and hearts of these people. I think about it, I see it so often, you know, think about our world. What do we have in our world? We have constant noise, constant flow of information and music and stimulant to our minds and our bodies. And I think part of that is the enemy's work not to allow man to have time to think about eternity or time to think about anything else. But now and the present and temporal things because man is in darkness. And we know that man loves darkness rather than light. And so lost man is in darkness. He's dead in his sin. Only God, the Holy Spirit, can shine the glorious light into his life, open his darkened eyes and understanding and bring someone to saving faith. And so our jobs is not our job is not to open the eyes and minds of people. We can't do that. Our job is to present the glorious gospel, the light of the world, the Lord Jesus, and pray and trust the Holy Spirit to open their understanding and their hearts and their minds to receive the gospel. Thank God he did not leave us in the darkness. Because all of us, all of us at one point in our lives, if we know Jesus today, but at one point in our lives, we were in darkness. We were dead in our sin. We were, we were without Christ. And we learn from this passage, we're back in John 1 now, that not only did Jesus create the world, and did the world become dark because of man's sin, but we understand here that he is the light of the world. John 1, 4 again. We just read it. Let's read it again. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Now, life and light always go together. Life and light go together. Jesus is life. He's the source of our physical life. Why? Because he's the creator. He gave us life. He's the source of physical life, but he's also the source of spiritual life. And the Bible says that he is the light of men. In fact, in the same gospel... The Gospel of John, when you get to the eighth chapter, Jesus says something in the eighth chapter you need to hear. In John chapter 8, verse 12, here's what he said. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And then we've already read here the fact that the light shone in the darkness. They didn't understand it, didn't comprehend it. And then it says, talks about John the Baptist. The fact that he was not the light of the world, he was not the light, but he was telling others about the light that they might come to the light. Now, beloved, the idea here is man no longer has to walk in darkness. Think about light for a moment. Lights and Christmas go together, don't they? 
we've got light here on our tree. Tim Keller noted that one of the first indications of the Christmas season is the appearance of lights. Lights on trees, candles in the windows, radiance everywhere. Where he serves, he said, the Christmas lights of New York City delight even the blasé residents. Everything seems to be wrapped in millions and millions of stars. He said, this is appropriate. Why? Because December 25th follows the darkest time of the year in the Mediterranean world in Europe where Christmas celebrations took shape. But the lights are not just decorative. They are symbolic. Why? Because the light of the world is Jesus. As we see all these lights, it reminds us of the Lord Jesus. He's the light of the world. I couldn't help but think of an old hymn we used to sing growing up. Do you all know this one? The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine at noonday, his glory shone in. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light. Tis shining for thee. Sweetly the light has dawned upon me. Once I was blind, but now I can see the light of the world is Jesus. And so think about it. As you're driving around and you're looking at the lights and, you know, instead of thinking about their power bill, boy, they're probably paying a lot. Think about the light of the world is Jesus. Symbolic. He says that about himself. Have you come to the light? Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus? Has the glorious gospel shown into your life? If not, friend, today's the day to come to Christ. One of the thought here when it talks about John the Baptist, he was not the light. Likewise, as followers of Jesus, we're not the light. We're the reflectors of his light. And that's why the Bible says in Matthew 5, 14 and 16, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. We're reflectors of his light. And that brings us to the last verse. It's a sad verse. Verse 10. It says he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. This is still going on today. It goes on every Christmas time. Millions of people are celebrating this time of the year. But what are they celebrating? Who are they celebrating? Many, they have no idea what this is all about. They think this is about reindeer and Santa and all those sorts of things, but they have no idea what the real meaning behind Christmas is all about. They're celebrating a Christless Christmas. Think about that. How tragic, how sad. We need to be reflecting the light. We need to be sharing the true Christmas story. We need to be sharing the glorious light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that the eternal Son of God, the Creator, stepped into His creation, became one of us that He might save us. I open with a story by Paul Harvey. If it's okay, I'd like to close with one as well. The alarm is going off. (laughs) Paul Harvey said Boston preacher Dr. Estee Gordon placed a beat up, bent, rusted old birdcage beside his pulpit when he told this story. So he had a birdcage. An unkept, unwashed. Little lad, about 10 years old, was coming up the alley, swinging this old caved-in birdcage with several tiny, shivering birds on the floor of it. The compassionate Dr. Gordon asked the boy where he got the birds. He said he trapped them. Dr. Gordon asked this boy what he was going to do with them. The boy said he was going to play with them and have fun with them. 
The preacher said, well, sooner or later you'll get tired of them. Then what are you going to do with them? The last said, I have some cats at home. They like birds. I'll feed them to my cats. Dr. Gordon said, son, how much do you want for the birds? The boy, surprised, hesitated and said, mister, you don't want these birds. They're just plain old field birds. They can't even sing. They're ugly. The preacher said, just tell me how much do you want? The grubby little lad thought about it. He squinted up one eye. He calculated and hesitated and said, two dollars. To his surprise, Dr. Gordon reached into his pocket and handed the boy two one dollar bills. The preacher took the cage and the boy in a wink was up the alley. When a sheltered crevice between buildings, Dr. Gordon opened the door of the cage and tapping on the rusty exterior, he encouraged the little birds one at a time to find their way out the narrow door and to fly away. Thus, having accounted for the empty cage beside his pulpit, the preacher went on to tell what seemed at first like a separate story about how once upon a time Jesus and the devil had engaged in a negotiation. Satan had boasted how he baited a trap in Eden's garden and called himself a world full of people. What are you going to do with all those people in your cage? Jesus wanted to know. The devil said, I'm going to play with them. I'm going to tease them. I'm going to make them marry and divorce and fight and kill one another. I'm going to teach them to throw bombs on one another. I'm going to have fun with them. Jesus says you can't have fun with them forever. When you get tired of playing, what are you going to do with them? Satan said, damn them. They're no good anyway. Damn them. Kill them. Jesus says, how much do you want for them? Satan said, you can't be serious. If I sell them to you, they'll just spit on you. They'll hate you. They'll hit you and beat you. They'll hammer nails into you. They're no good. Jesus said, how much? Satan said, all of your tears and all of your blood, that's the price. Jesus took the cage Paid the price and opened the door. Brother, that's what Christmas is about. That's what Christmas is about. God became flesh, dwelt among us in a sinless, perfect life, and then paid the price with his own blood, took our place on the cross, was buried and rose again, that we might have life, that we might have freedom, that we might have light, eternal life. Through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you not share that story? Will you not share the gospel? Will you not shine the glorious light of the gospel in this dark world so that others may hear and come to the light as God opens their blinded eyes? Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you that Jesus became one of us so that he might save us. Thank you that he paid a price that he did not owe. Because we owed a price that we could not pay. And now if there's anyone listening to my voice who is living a Christless life 
and celebrating a Christless Christmas. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them, convince them, and convert them right now. And finally, dear Father, help us to be sharing the light with those living in darkness in our world. Please have your will and your way in each heart and life today, I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 91. Silent night, holy night. You need to be saved today. We'd love to help you in that matter. We'd love to take the scripture and lead you to the cross. Maybe you just want to come and pray. Maybe there's someone upon your heart or something upon your heart today. And you want to come and pray. The altar is open for you. Number 91, silent night, holy night. Let's stand together and sing. The altar is open. You come. Third verse. Ah.